0: All right. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And as you turn there, uh, we are nearing the end of our series through Colossians Christ Sufficient, Christ Supreme. And it has been a joy to have this first sermon series with you. And as we look forward to next week closing this and in the summer, be looking at the parables of our Lord and tales of the kingdom. And so that's what we're looking forward towards to be preaching through verse by verse um, some of the parables of our Lord uh, in the Gospels. And so, but today we want to turn our attention to Colossians chapter 4 and uh, let's pray one more time before we stand and read God's Word. Father, thank you for this time together and we. Thank you for what we've already been able to celebrate, your Holy Spirit's work in the life of Evan, and now his baptism, and uh, to profess his faith in Christ. And Lord, we now, as we think about everyone that has come into this building today, there are various needs and burdens and trials that people are enduring, and pray that through your word and through the gospel that they'll be strengthened in each situation and you know everything going on in our lives, and you invite us to cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. And so now, as we approach your word, may your Spirit uh, empower the preaching of your word. May you cleanse my mind and my heart so that um, your word will be faithfully and clearly explained, and that you will do the work that you, Holy Spirit, will do the work in our hearts to transform us and conform us to the image of Christ. And if there's one here that has never been born again and saved, that you will save them even today. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me as we read God's word together. The title of the message today is The Fellowship of the Gospel, and we want to begin reading in verse 7. Scripture says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A fellowship is a company of people bound in friendship, united by a particular cause, and committed to a specific goal. I cannot help, and some of you will obviously understand that I cannot help but think of the first book of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. In his series, The Lord of the Rings, and the first book there, The Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Ring is comprised uh, of the key characters in the story who are committed to helping Frodo Baggins destroy the evil ring of power for the sake of Middle-earth. And of course, he's joined by Gandalf and Sam and Merry and Pippin and Gimli, Legolas, Aragorn, and Boromir. I could have said that without looking at my notes, but nevertheless, that comprises the Fellowship of the Ring. And one of the keys of the whole story, if you've read the series, is the friendship that is forged between those characters in that fellowship because of what they share in common. And without that fellowship, Frodo could not fulfill the task that he has chosen to take upon himself. Well, that really does serve as an illustration and bridge to the very text that we have read this morning, because in this passage, Paul is closing the letter that he has written to the church at Colossae, and he follows a particular pattern that is found in almost every letter that he writes in the New Testament to the local churches. You will find at the end of the letters, and specifically here, you'll find commendations or recommendations of specific people. You'll find greetings from him and these people. You'll find final instructions to the churches and to the leaders in the churches, and then he'll close with a benediction. And so as we unpack this passage, what really is clear is that there is a fellowship, but this is a fellowship of the gospel. And the reason I call it the fellowship of the gospel is because he lists specific people by name. And if you go through here, I believe there are a total of ten names that he actually mentions. If you go to the end of Romans and you read Romans 16, he lists over, over two dozen names at the end of the book of Romans. And so as we read through this list and we see these names, we understand that what Paul is doing is, is he's recognizing these individuals and their help that they have given him in ministry, and he's acknowledging their love for the Lord's church. In fact, what I think you sense when you read the ending of the letter is you you can feel the, 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 the personal connection that he has with these individuals as he concludes the letter. And That personal feel, that personal tone that you see, it tells us something of the greatness of the gospel and the beauty of the church. Because, listen, these letters in the New Testament, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit for sure, and yet written by the men that were carried along by the Holy Spirit, these letters weren't just... Doctrinal manifestos, though we have seen there is great doctrine in them. They're, they're not just a list of imperatives and commands like, you know, a, a checklist that you check off. In, in fact, no, they're, it's personal correspondence. They're, they're just real letters to real people. And that's what you see here as you come to the end. And, and in some sense, it reminds us that the church is, it's not a building, The church is not a business. The church is a body of people regenerated by the Holy Spirit, united in the gospel of Jesus Christ and knitted together in love toward one another. The church is important. And this text shows that. But beyond that, we see that the people in the church are important to the Apostle Paul. No, the church is not about, the, about people. The church is about the, it's about the gospel, but the gospel forms the people of God as Christ is their king. So it kind of compels us to ask, is the local church important to you? And if not, it should be. You should belong to the church. You should serve the church. You should support the church. We should love the church. And, and again, just think about it from our own context here, locally, in this place, at this time. And we think of other churches, perhaps, that we have been a part of through the years. And what it shows us is, is the, the importance of each member. So when I think of the church, I, I obviously think of faces of people that I see as I preach the Word of God. I think of people with whom I serve or with whom I've served in the past. When I think of the church, I think of, of young men like Evan. And, 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 and children and young people and adults who, who have been, who've made professions of faith have been baptized. You see, there's, a, there's something deeply personal when we think of the church. And that's what should come to our mind you think of people, maybe it's because of their testimony, maybe it's people that you've led to Christ, or you think of people with whom you've served in ministry, or that you have helped and ministered to. When my family and I came, well, when we st- it was actually one year ago that we came across the pastoral position that was here, as Pastor Klein was concluding his ministry. And when I watched the services here, I mean, it was clear to me that I didn't just want to pastor this church. I wanted my family and I to belong to this church. I mean, there really was just a sense in us of that. And that only increased as we went through the entire process all the way up to the call to come here. And and, and I realize that we're still new here. And you may be suspicious when I say things like that. But in time, I hope that you see that. I I don't say those things just to like, I I mean, I just say those things because that's deeply how we feel. That's how we have felt for years in the ministry of the gospel. And the reason why we were drawn is because it was evident to us that the gospel was central here. And when I said yes to come, let me tell you, I was speaking for all of us. I mean, I was speaking for Everyone in our family had had that discussion, and there was a sense of these are the people that we want to come to and share our life with. And beyond this, the ch- beyond that personal illustration, the church is important, not just because of personal reasons, but because of convictional reasons. The church is important because Christ died for the church. Acts 20, verse 28. And Spurgeon frames it this way, and I think it's wonderful. He says, nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Therefore, being his, let us also belong to it, that by our prayers, our gifts, and our labors we support and strengthen it. And that is exactly what Paul's getting at here. Because the key truth that we that we really see displayed in this in these closing words is that. The fellowship that we share in the church shows the redemptive importance of each person in the work of ministry. That's really what you see in this, this maybe to us, strange list of names. But all we have to do is is transpose that in looking into our own life in this body and see, yes, it is so true that we share a fellowship in the church that demonstrates the redemptive importance of every single person that God has saved and assembled. So what do we see then in the fellowship of the gospel? We see three things that we want to unpack. We see first the messengers of the letter. We'll then look at the partnership in ministry. And then lastly, we will consider the, the final thought, the recipients in the church, those that will receive the letter. And from that, we will see the importance of the fellowship of the gospel. So let's look at the first thing, the messengers of the letter. This would be the commendations that Paul extends. He says in verse 7: Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So we might put this title with Tychicus. He is Paul, to Paul, he is a fellow slave. And, and actually, in some translations, it will translate to the word slave, not just servant, but a fellow slave. And there's a reason for that, because Onesimus is paired with him. You can find Tychicus mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 4. Tychicus was a man who was from Asia Minor. He lived in the Roman province in which Ephesus and Colossae were both located, and he accompanied the Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey. That's where he's mentioned in Acts chapter 20. And what we know about Tychicus is he traveled with the Apostle Paul to Jerusalem. Remember the special offering that they were taking up from the Gentile churches to take back to the church in Jerusalem to help the believers in need? Tychicus was a part of that, that group that was collecting funds to take to the church in Jerusalem and to minister and what happened is is that Paul and Tychicus would become lifelong friends and in this text, you'll notice that Paul actually provides three words or nouns that describe Tychicus in terms of his character and profile notice what he says he says he's my beloved brother faithful minister and fellow slave or fellow servant in the Lord. So, Tychicus, listen, Tychicus didn't have a title, he didn't hold an office in the church. Yet, Paul had great affection for him as a fellow believer in Christ. That's what he says, beloved brother. He's just saying, this is my brother in Christ. This is another believer, my fellow believer. And what we share together is a common confession of the gospel. And so, the church and Paul could count on him because the text says he was a faithful. Do you see it? He says, faithful minister. And the word minister is diakonos, in which we get the word deacon, and it, all it just means is it, it's in, in this particular case, it's just calling him a very faithful man who serves other people, and particularly the apostle Paul. Tychicus was willing to serve in any capacity, whether it was collecting an offering for those in need to take to another sister church or traveling with the Apostle Paul along with him in his missionary journeys to help him in any way, or in this case, what is he doing? He's delivering letters. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and you read verses 21 and 22, you'll notice that he's also mentioned there. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus The beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so it is almost word for word identical to what is written to the Colossian church. In other words, he had a really simple, what we might say it's a menial job. Take this letter, get it to these local churches and make sure you tell them how things are going in our gospel ministry. Like Paul, he was fully surrendered to Christ. He was a free man who is called a slave of Christ. Play on words, but very clear what Paul is saying. He is a devoted slave, surrendered, uh, slave in the Lord, surrendered to Jesus Christ. And what I think we should just simply note is that it simply illustrates The reality that everything we do in the work of God and for the glory of God has eternal significance. Even taking letters from the apostles' hand and getting them to another church and encouraging them with the report of how things are going. So wherever it is that you serve and whatever it is you do in the life of the local church, and whatever ministry it is that God has given you, even it's just simply being an encouragement to those who preach and those who teach and others who serve, that has eternal significance for the kingdom of God. And Paul illustrates that right here. Perhaps we could just say he is an unsung hero, but he is nevertheless nevertheless important to the church and to the apostle. And we see that because of his purpose. Paul sends him the Colossae, notice what he says, to report to them his labors for the gospel. In other words, he says, you go to the church at Colossae, take this letter to them as well as the letter to the Ephesians and to Laodicea and tell them what has been happening. Report to them the labors that have been taking place for the gospel and how Paul had been in prison. It's like just here in a couple of weeks, we'll go to New Orleans and we'll gather with other Southern Baptist pastors and messengers and we will hear reports and there'll be a whole lot of other things that will take place things that we are watching and needing to hear, but we go there as well to hear what God is doing through missionaries in other places and pastors in other places, and there's a level of encouragement that is received. If you go to conferences, you receive the same kind of encouragement when you hear what God is doing in other places. And so his purpose is for this early church, it would have been encouraging them to know what God was doing in saving people and and, and forming churches and how the gospel was spreading. But here's the key. He would encourage their hearts because he was an encouragement to Paul. Don't lose the sight of that. What he would report was not just a written report of information, but the intent was to encourage God's people. Isn't it comforting to know that the Apostle Paul valued people being encouraged. We're not talking about tickling ears. We're not talking about just letting people, he- telling people what we think they want to hear. But it's the idea that God's people will be encouraged by God's purposes and activity in saving people through the gospel of Christ. That just happened we were encouraged by hearing our brothers profession of faith in Christ that's where we receive encouragement and so Paul commends him to the church i commend this brother to you in other words receive him and receive him well now think of now the next person onesimus in verse 9 look what he says then in verse 9 in verse 9 he states that, and with him, joining Tychicus, his Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So they're both going to give a report. And now with Onesimus, why would Onesimus be an encouragement? We might say because Onesimus is a fellow brother, but he's actually literally a slave who ran away from his master. And so Onesimus would be an encouragement because he's a picture of redemption, He was the runaway slave who prompted the letter to Philemon. Philemon was one of the leaders in the church of Colossae. And Philemon, or Onesimus, ran away to Rome where he met the apostle Paul, and Paul led him to Christ. And so now that Paul, or, or Paul is now returning him, sending him back to Colossae and back to his master, Now, I've talked about that already in previous message that the point here is not to overthrow, the the apostles' intent is not to overthrow current structures in society, even those that are sinful, but instead to demonstrate how the gospel transforms our hearts and how we function even in those sinful structures. And so the very fact that Onesimus would come back to would go back to his 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 master is a demonstration of God's work in his heart of redemption and notice what paul is telling them how are they to receive this runaway slave and realize this that to run to a runaway slave a slave that would run away that is a crime that would have been punishable by death and what does paul tell the church you receive him they were to welcome him as, look at the text, who is one of you. What does that show us? The gospel had changed Onesimus' status. And I know that our culture would be just, our, our, current, our current moment, people would say, oh, well, that just sounds awful. Why is it the priority to overthrow the uh, slavery at this time? Because the priority of the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit was to demonstrate how the gospel changes sinners and transforms them in in, in every relationship that they find themselves in. And so this church would have seen that Onesimus was a changed man. And you see that when you read the letter to Philemon. Because Paul tells Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And to receive Onesimus as his equal, forgive and receive as your equal in Christ. What does that show? Why does he mention Onesimus? Why does he mention these guys? Because he wants also to display how the gospel transforms people's lives I mean, it would be like meeting anyone who once was living in this sin or once was uh, encumbered in this vice, and God has saved them and changed their whole attitude, their whole disposition. Onesimus' whole disposition had been transformed from being defiant and angry and ungrateful to being grateful, to being compliant, and to being joyful even in his circumstances. And his circumstances certainly would change because Philemon was a fellow believer. It illustrates Galatians 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no, ma- neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. It is not denying that there are distinctions. It is just simple, or various roles in the structures of society. What it's recognizing is that in Christ, God has brought a body of believers together who are united in the gospel. And so the way we look at this first point of these commendations, these messengers of the letter, Tychicus and Onesimus, the way we would apply that is just simply this. You and I, we must receive one another in gospel thankfulness and unity. Because that's what he's basically telling this church. Receive these brothers in unity and with thankfulness. So as you contemplate that truth applied, how would your service to Christ be described? How would you be commended? I mean, imagine, the Apostle Paul says about these men, beloved brothers, faithful servants, faithful servants, faithful ministers, and would that be said of us? And do we receive all who are transformed by God's grace regardless of their past? Do we receive one another saying, you know what, it doesn't matter what's any, what it what was in our past, the reality is all of us have been transformed by the power of the gospel. And so that's what you see then in the messengers of the letter. The second thing you need to observe is the partners in ministry. That begins in verse 10. So Paul now, in verse 10, he begins to mention particular men that he's partnered with in gospel ministry. So this is the even tighter fellowship that he has shared. And when you come to verse 20, or verse 10, I'm sorry, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greet you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Now listen to the last part of verse 11. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. And so you see two groups here. This first group that we just, met, that we just read again, these are his Jewish partners, his Jewish fellow workers. And so let's just briefly highlight them. Aristarchus was from Thessalonica. He had been a faithful friend to Paul for years. You'll hear him mentioned in Acts 19, verse 29, he was seized by the mob in Ephesus when Paul preached against their idol and their worship of Artemis. And so he was there. And then Paul and Barnabas, and then in addition to that, he accompanied Paul on his trip to Jerusalem just like Tychicus. He was also, if you go to Acts 27 verse 4, you'll see that he was with Paul in his voyage to Rome. And now, look at what it says, my fellow prisoner, he's been on voyages with Paul, he's been attacked by others with Paul, and now where is he? In prison with Paul. My fellow prisoner. In other words, this brother has been with him in all of the trenches in the battles that they have fought together for the sake of the gospel. This is a dear friend. Then you have another man mentioned, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. When Paul mentions him, notice what it says. He says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning him you have received instructions. If he comes to you, receive, welcome him or receive him. Now, who is this? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, remember in Acts chapter 15? you can go there if you want to. Acts chapter 15 and listen to what it says in verse 36. I'll turn there. It won't be on the screen but you can read along with me. And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them and Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work, to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So do you see that? There was a disagreement. And now, and they had separated ways. But here now, as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, we see that there has been both reconciliation and restoration. And then if you go over to 2 Timothy 4, you'll see when Paul is at the end of his ministry and end of his life, who does he ask to come to him? Mark. John Mark. Bring him with you, he tells Timothy. You see, why is that important? Because Paul understood that they may have heard about the disagreement, and so when he tells them, hey, you receive, Mark. In other words, what he wants them to know is there's been restoration. That disagreement is behind us. Everything has been mended, and we are together for the gospel. It illustrates the importance of not allowing disagreements over things that are non-essential to destroy our relationships. Sometimes loving our brother is more important than just our passion to be right in whatever opinion we might be having. And so that's what that illustrates. And what it demonstrates is, is that the ministry of the gospel is far more important than anything else. And so he says, he mentions Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and then he mentions another man named Jesus or Justice. Nothing is known about this man outside of the fact fact that Paul names him indicating his service to Christ and help to him in gospel ministry. Now, why specifically are these three men grouped together? The text tells you. It says these are the only men The only Jewish men, my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just the Jewish people being saved. The kingdom of God is salvation to the whole world that comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, God is saving Jew and Gentile. But out of the church of Jerusalem, only three of them would come with him to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And so they stood with Paul. And because they stood with Paul, they were a comfort to him. Because they were the only Jewish men who came with him. They were able to get over racial barriers and any self-righteous attitudes that they might have had towards other people and join Paul for the sake of spreading the gospel. I think what all of that illustrates to me is that In all of the difficulties that Paul perhaps faced, and ministry can be difficult, every minister needs to have those kinds of gospel partnerships and friendships that will go the distance, that will step with you and minister with you in whatever season of difficulty and discouragement. But the second group are the Gentile fellow workers. Verse 12, look at what what it says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greet you always, struggling on your behalf, in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So notice next, he now moves to the Gentile partners, fellow workers, and he mentions Epaphras. If you go back to chapter one, you will see that Epaphras was the pastor of this church at one point. He had proclaimed the gospel first in Colossae. And he mentions Epaphras because Epaphras still cared for them. And notice, as you look at these verses, observe. He says, listen, he cares for you. He cares for you because he's one of you. He's part of this church. And he has cared for them and for other churches and for the spread of the gospel. Look at the other thing he says about Epaphras. He prayed for them. Look at the wording. It says that he struggled on your behalf in his prayers. See how you see the importance of the church and then the usefulness of each person that ministers? And notice what he prayed. He prayed that they would, two things. He prayed that they would stand mature and that they would be fully assured of the will of God. What, what does it mean when he prays that? Well, it goes back to what we preached last week about gospel-driven prayer. He prays that they will be fully assured. What that means is is that they will be complete in the gospel and that, they, that this church in Colossae won't be drawn away by the heresies that are trying to creep in. May they realize that their hope and assurance of salvation is in Christ alone. That's how he prayed. That's a grid of how we should pray, that nothing would take us away from the truth that our salvation and the assurance of our salvation is only in the full and finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be in full maturity and then to be living in that. He also prayed that they would acknowledge or notice that they would stand fully assured in all the will of God. Now, what is that about? Well, what that means is, is that he was praying that they would be assured that God's will is that the gospel go to all the nations, not just the Jewish people, but to all the Gentile nations, and that they would be assured of that and committed to the mission to take the gospel to the nations. That's what he was praying for. And so he wasn't praying like they'd be assured in God's will to know, you know, what profession they were to choose in life. He was praying for them that they would be fully assured of God's saving purposes and will in the world that sinners come to faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And to that end, we too should pray that we would again, back to last week, that doors would be open for the gospel to be shared, and that it would go forth, not just from us in our local context, but through missionaries and others that are serving in other places. To prayer, I mentioned Hudson Taylor last week. And I read this this week, and it's interesting, the influence of his mother upon his prayer life. This was written by his son and daughter-in-law. Listen to what his son and daughter-in-law observed in the life of, of Hudson Taylor. This is what his son and daughter-in-law wrote. After sleep at last had brought a measure of quiet, they would hear a match struck and see the flicker of candlelight, which told them that Mr. Taylor, whoever however whoever, however weary, was poring over the little Bible he had in two volumes in his hand. From 2 to 4 a.m. was the time he usually gave to prayer, the time when he could be most sure of being undisturbed to wait upon God. The hardest part of a missionary career, Mr. Taylor found, is to maintain regular prayerful Bible study. Satan will always find you something to do, he would say, when you ought to be occupied about that, if it is, even if it is only arranging a window blind. What a commitment to prayer. And while I, wouldn't, well, I don't think that necessarily means we need to be praying from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., getting a good night's sleep is equally glorifying to God. I think the point is, is that we need to be committed to prayer in that fashion, that we should be committed to prayer demonstrating our dependence on God. And Epaphras demonstrated that for the sake of the church at Colossae and the spread of the gospel, Epaphras two other people mentioned, Luke and Demas. Now, Luke was the physician who traveled with Paul. He wrote both one of the Gospels as well as the book of Acts. Not much is known about Luke's background, but he was educated and cultured, and giving his writing ability and attention to detail, he was helpful to Paul in strategizing how to reach Gentiles. And so, Luke was very important. To Paul's ministry. And then the third person of the Gentiles is Demas. He was also with Paul. But Demas would become a disappointment because according to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12, what does Paul say about Demas to Timothy? He has left me for his love for this present world. It illustrates the heartbreaks of ministry that even Paul endured when people that you thought were committed to Christ fall away, or friends succumb to moral failure and shipwreck their ministries. Paul had witnessed those things. And at this point, when he mentions Demas, Demas has not yet fallen. And even in this moment, he's still useful to Paul. But I'm sure in, in, in the future days that would come, he would reflect upon Demas' ministry and be heartbroken. But I think when you sum all of this up the partners in the ministry and the greetings that come to the church from them here's how we apply that to us ready we partner together in gospel mission that's what it illustrates we partner together in gospel mission we don't just get together to hear sermons and to sing songs but but We gather, one, to worship the Lord and to exalt Christ in our gatherings, but we also gather together to mobilize, to go out and support missions and to carry out the mission of being a witness of the gospel. And what do we need in that? We need partnership. We need to recognize the importance of partnering together, strategizing together, praying more. That's what this illustrates in the fellowship of the gospel. Last thing quickly, the recipients in the church. The recipients in the church and the final instructions. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And then say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. So notice here the recipients in the church, in the final instructions, in the fellowship of the gospel. Paul says, give my greetings to them. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. And so this letter was going to go to Laodicea, it was going to go to Colossae, it was a circular letter, and what Paul wanted is to them to, he wanted them to give them his personal greetings. What does that show you? Again, go back to what I said in the beginning, the personal tone. This is not about Paul's platform. This is about the ministry of the gospel and the people in the local church, Let them know that I care for them, that I love them, that I'm praying for them. And then it also shows us the church met in various contexts. And some churches met even in houses, as is mentioned here. It's just illustrating how the church is gathered. And then notice the next instruction. He says in verse 16 And then, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church at Laodicea, or to other Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. In other words, these letters were circular letters. And so Paul says, you take this letter I've written to you, and you make sure that it's written, it's read to the church in Laodicea, and the letter that they have received, you read it when you have gathered in the public worship. Most commentators will say that there was no letter of, a letter to the Laodiceans But it was actually the letter of Ephesians that was was to be a circular letter for Ephesus and for Laodicea. But the point here is this. This is what you need to get. Paul directs the Colossians and the Laodiceans to exchange their letters and to have these read in their corporate worship services because these letters are authoritative. Do you hear that? They are to be read because they are authoritatively, divinely inspired. It is the Word of God. Paul didn't just consider this his own personal correspondence. He considered it equivalent to inspired text. And the church was to receive that, what was written as inspired text. And that applies to us today. This text Colossians, and every letter in the New Testament is authoritative to every believer in every age because it is part of the divinely inspired, authoritative, sufficient Word of God. And then the last instruction he gives is to Archippus, who was probably the leading pastor of the church in Colossae in the absence of Epaphras at this time. He tells the whole church... To encourage the pastor to complete his ministry of teaching and challenging the Colossian believers at this particular critical time. It is not only a joy to be here and to preach and to shepherd here, but it's also a joy to work with the staff that is here. To work with the other pastors that are here. To work with the other servants in this church. It's a joy. And so... Here, the church is encouraged to encourage, and I would encourage you. Encourage pastors. Encourage their wives. Encourage their families. Be patient. Extend grace. And for pastors, whether it's this pastor or any pastor, we must be committed to fulfill our ministry. That means to be committed to the word of God, committed to the church of Christ, and to be committed to the gospel and to never relent on the preaching of the word and the worship of Jesus and the administration of the ordinances and the shepherding of the flock. That's what he wants Archipas to do. Don't give up, don't quit, don't relent on your responsibilities as a minister of the gospel. Ministry is a marathon. And it requires patience, perseverance, and endurance, and a commitment to stay. So you may be stuck with me for a while. Now, truth applied, we obey together the gospel and the word of truth. So do you see all of this? The fellowship of the gospel means that we obey together the gospel together in this fellowship. We obey together the gospel and the word of truth, the word of God. We partner in mission together. And we receive one another in unity and thankfulness. That's what it means to be in the fellowship of the gospel. And like Frodo and Sam and their fellowship of friends, the names that we've gone through today, perhaps it's not the most exciting thing to read, but it's nonetheless important. Because these names in this text remind us of the importance of the church, the relationships in the church, and the role that each of us have in the service of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon again said this, what is the church? The word church signifies assembly. The church of Jesus Christ is an assembly of faithful men and women. The whole company of God's chosen called out ones, The entire community of true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever true believers are, there is a part of the church. Wherever such men are not, whatever organization may be in existence, there is no church of Jesus Christ. Thus, the church is important. So let me ask you a few questions. Are you a part of the fellowship of the gospel? Are you a Christian? Have you been saved Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ, believing that he died, was buried, and was raised for you, repenting of your sin? Have you become a member of the church? Do you need to be baptized because you know that you have already professed Christ? Do you need to become part of this body by becoming a member, whatever that might be? Maybe you need to respond in that way. And church, are we committed to one another? Is the church dear to us? May it be dear to us. How are you serving? And how are you encouraging one another and those in gospel ministry? How do you need to obey God's word this morning? My encouragement to us as we close this message on the fellowship of the gospel is to respond with thankfulness and greater faithfulness and greater unity because of the bond that we share In Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fellowship of the gospel. And thank you for what Christ has done to bring us together. Whether we're thinking of the obedience that we are to have to the word of God in our fellowship. The partnership that we are to share in the gospel because of our fellowship or the call to receive one another with unity and thankfulness. Help us to respond in the way that your Holy Spirit would have us to respond. May the church be dear to us. May the church be important to us. And may it be reflected in our devotion. And may we be grateful for one another. And may our hearts be knitted together in love. In Jesus' name, amen.